0: We see all this AI, stable diffusion, open AI stuff. Like the reason for the the, the sort of scale that's happening right now and just the AI generative stuff uh, is because open source. Like The trust is now validated by their contributions. Um, So might as well make the money when you can, but you just got to know what you're going to get out of it. Like you basically put a a ticking time bomb of when this project is going to die. They doubled their customer acquisition funnel just with the open source repo. I would say like, the, a lot of my career has been doing that 10% of what no one wants to do.
1: You want to start your career in 27 and shift into programming? Or you, you are a junior who want to develop new skills to show for your employees? Or you are a company who want to see how you can use open source to have a better user acquisition funnel? All of this is in for you in this topic with Brian Douglas, the founder of Open Source at Hadith Tech Podcast. So let's enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode from Hadith Thic. I am Drahman Rajab, and here with us we have Brian from Open Source. Hey, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for accepting this invitation again, and I hope you are doing well. Yeah, well, I am. I hope you are as well. <laughs> Thank you for that. So let's start with the podcast with like, asking you about uh, to introduce yourself to the people.
0: Yeah, uh, same name's. Brian Douglas, I go by B Dougie on the internet, and um, recently I spent four and a half years at GitHub, uh, leading developer advocacy there, and uh, really disengaging a lot of open source and free users to leverage features that they didn't know existed on GitHub. Uh, I've taken that experience and turned it into running a, a, a full-time startup uh, called Open Source. Uh, and the path uh, there is just to get people to do open source contributions. But really, the the actual tagline that we just switched to recently is finding the best engineers in open source. Um, so happy to get in the But also, we can share more about my story as well.
1: It would be awesome, like to listen from uh, about your story to start like from the beginning. And how did you go to B Doggy from your that name?
0: Uh, B Doggy. I mean, first name's Brian, last name's Douglas. Um, I actually. So when I first my first engineering role, I uh, was working in Orlando, Florida, and there were on the engineering team. There was about 10 engineers and it got to the point where there was the fifth engineer was named Brian. Um, so there were so many Brian's, including the manager that we all just went by our, our GitHub handles. And my GitHub handle at the time was BDougie because in high school, kids used to call me Dougie because I, more of my background, I actually have a twin brother and uh, so they would always call us Douglas, and sort of distinguish us. I was, I was Dougie um, for, for a while as well. So, um, yeah, that's that is the, that's the name of the story.
1: That's an interesting name and this story. Like, uh, I would like to know about your background as well. Uh, you don't have a computer science background and you started into coding from, like, very interesting story. Would you like to share that with the audience?
0: Yeah, so my my background, I went, to, I did go to college, uh, university, and I got a finance degree uh, yeah. to learn about money. I didn't grow up with a lot of money, uh, so I figured if I get a finance degree, I could learn how money works and maybe have more of it. And uh, so I got that job. Uh, sorry, I got the degree and I graduated two thousand eight during the sort of um, the housing crisis here in the U.S., which spread throughout. Like the, more stuff happened with like Greece and stuff like that around the time. So. The economy just wasn't great for new college grads with no no network to get jobs in finance. So instead, I took a job in sales. Um, so I sold IT equipment, uh, specifically like uh, networking equipment. So it was back um, at this point, 2010, 11. Uh, it's been about four years doing that. I got to the point where I got promoted two times in the in one year to become senior IT consultant, which I was like consulting on deals for um nfl stadiums they were uh, national football league they were putting wi-fi in stadiums so back yeah. before the, like wi-fi is everywhere now but back then wi-fi wasn't as prevalent um so spent a, uh, some time working on those deals before i stopped doing sales but uh was expecting my first kid who now is nine years old and uh he came 11 weeks early and being 11 weeks early you have to spend a lot more time in the hospital before they can be released and thrive in the world uh so we had a lot of downtime and during that downtime i had the thought i mean it's a very emotional time having your kid born 11 weeks early um not knowing if they're going to survive or not you know it's the first kid as well so you just don't know a new family uh so we wanted to find something was uplifting um we had attended church uh christian church um growing up that's where i met my wife and the hospital was 25 miles from our house so We wanted something that was close to the hospital that we could go to like the church on Sunday, come back to the hospital and feel like kind of better. Um, So when I Googled for churches near the hospital um, back in 2013, when this was, it was very challenging to find a very specific Google search of like, here's a location. And I think we were coming around the time around Foursquare and Yelp had just really taken off. Like It was taken off as in Yelp was very popular in New York and San Francisco. But this is at the point when Yelp kind of expanded into other areas and even internationally. Um so at that point I was like, oh I could just do a like an app, I'll app on my phone that I could just find a church based on like a certain criteria. It's like what type of religion is it, what type of like atmosphere, community, is there family-oriented and stuff. And um so I created this site called Choich. Um and then from there I learned how to code because I, I, I wanted to build an iPhone app, uh, but I found out. When I got the iPhone uh, Big Nerd Ranch book uh, to learn Objective C and iPhone uh, development, and in the beginning of the book, it's like, "Oh, I'll learn C." And it's like, "Okay." So I got the C book, and then I learned C. But it's like, "Oh yeah, by the way, you should learn assembly." So like, it was like this roundabout way to like, I guess I should learn programming properly. But then at the same time, where I was like, "Oh man, this is kind of tedious. I'm never going to build an app because I have to learn every single concept because I had no degree uh, in the in the field." Instead, I googled how to build an app quickly, and at that point. There was like Ruby on Rails, was this framework that had been around for quite a few years. But this framework to be able to run a scaffold command and build most of your app uh, and then start picking it, picking up like parts to improve. Uh, when I discovered Ruby on Rails, I was like, oh, I'm going to build it with this. Cause like you can use Ruby at the point, they had like this other tool to build iPhone apps using Ruby as well. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to do Ruby on Rails. Learned it. I built that app in about 17 weeks. So it wasn't like, two weekends or anything like that. I, I did have to learn quite a bit. Uh, and then that app was built and uh, my son came home. Uh, he actually came home out after 11 weeks. Uh, so six weeks later, I had an app like ready to go. And at that point it was like it, the whole world opened up. Uh, Cause I didn't realize there were like these meetup groups in my local city that people who knew Ruby, it was called the Tampa Ruby raid. They, they had these events every Tuesday. And I was like, Oh, well actually it was once a month. And I'd go to it and I'd meet other people who are interested. And then I learned this whole ecosystem of like engineers who don't have degrees or don't have uh, a computer science background are getting jobs that are making more than I was making in sales. So at that point, I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to get a job because I didn't want to do sales anymore. I wanted to be home with my kid. Uh, I ended up getting a job writing code uh, from going to these events.
1: That's really interesting. And it's really like important for people to like engage with community and See how people are doing in their, let's say, community and local communities. From that point, I would like to hear, like, from your side, and uh, how someone can empower, like, let's say, less representative communities in their uh, region from your point of view.
0: Yeah, sorry, less representative. What do you mean by that?
1: Like, I mean, let's say, um, it's it could be like black people or it could be people of color and from different, let's say, um, uh, colors. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think that really starts with finding your community. So it, it's zooming out. Like when you look at the tech landscape, the majority of the tech is, is white males, uh, West Coast, U.S. Uh, obviously there are international folks who come through on H1B ones or people who um, are from other backgrounds that were very focused in what do you, Ivy League schools, stuff like that. So obviously there's like, there's diversity, uh, but the, the, the number of diversity it's, 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 it's shockingly low. So, uh, and I think that number is like, it's increased in the last 10 years since I've been in tech. Uh, but it's not increased by leaps and bounds. So okay. with that being said, like if you are an underrepresented person or a minority in tech, so whether you're a female or whether you're from the Middle East or whether you're a black American, like there's organizations that are out there and like they're like quick Google searches away. And I think a lot of folks spend a lot of time funding, um, like donating money and donating effort in uh, in these institutions. So uh, my like a lot of folks like me in, in particular like I didn't really put a lot of focus uh, into those organizations early in my career because uh, I didn't know what I was gonna get out of that uh, or if that was even needed because I was I was, I was running tech at at the age of 27 uh, which is not like entirely too old uh, but it wasn't like I was 19 you know getting my first like good look at writing my first app or anything like that starting my own startup um, so I, I I had a, a whole career uh, but what I'm what I, I guess what I'm gonna say is like I would honestly, I would seek out those organizations if you fall within one of those crowds because uh, there is definitely strength in numbers uh, and that sort of network that you get if you go to the Ivy League school. So if you went to Harvard or Stanford, you have a network that you will always have the rest of your career because you went to a school, you you made friends, you made connections to future CEOs, uh, and it's the same thing with those organizations. So obviously, it's a different degree, but. When you're when you're rubbing shoulders with similar people at the same time that you're coming up, you have so your your strengthened by having the similar experience and similar backgrounds. Uh, so I, I would say like diversity in tech, it's a strength, and it's a strength yeah. for the people who who participate in it. So um, me in particular, I joined an organization, organization called Dev Color, uh, which is uh, Black engineers out here in Silicon Valley. It's spread out to international and online as well. But uh, what I'm getting at is like. Joining that organization, I was able to ask questions of like, hey, I'm going to interview at this company. Like, what should I prepare for? And a lot of times, like, when you go to Google or you go to YouTube and you find, like, the general advice, it is generally general advice. Because uh, you have to get advice to the most amount of people. Um, but when you ask people who've done it before, face-to-face, in person, or, or in a community, you get different responses. So, like, one thing that I, I learned early in my career is how much people were getting paid. Uh, so like I, I, talked to someone at Netflix who from just being part of community asking and he flat out told me like, I make $420,000 a year and in my mind, 420,000 us in my mind, I was making not even a quarter of that. And I was yeah. also working in the same city in San Francisco. So once I had that information, I was like, Oh wow, you could actually make more than I'm making now. Uh, and just be like a regular senior engineer. I'm like, wow. Okay that changes the entire game for me. And I think when information is shared freely like that, um, everyone benefits, obviously employers, they, they don't benefit as much because now everyone knows how much people are getting paid. But I don't know if that is an entirely a problem because employers will figure it out. They've got money. Um, the market has to, has to sort of shift, uh, once, once, uh, once people start entering tech and start getting their jobs, like eventually people will start getting the median, the average salary. So, uh, Hopefully, I answered that question. I don't know if I really answered it um, to your liking, yeah. but yeah,
1: yeah, it's really nice. Like uh, from me, I would I was like thinking about something like for more focused in the mid but like hearing a story from, let's say, um, a USA or someone from uh, the USA to be much like to the business shell. Here, I have like a question about like the open source community, since you are talking about big yeah. data and how salary. Yeah, yeah well, sure.
0: We can get to open source, but I wanted to mention something you, you mentioned earlier before we even hit record, which yeah. you had mentioned Amjad. Amjad, the CEO of Ruffle, yeah. who's who's based, at a, he, he's not based in the Middle East. He comes from the Middle East. He got his career start. He went to school out there. But he's like a, another story of connections and community um, where all he had to do was just hear someone else succeed and someone else have a path. And then that yeah. made a path for him. Um, so, it, 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 when you think of like underrepresented folks, like I also think that you should think of like location and regional as well. Cause now we yeah. have this sort of influx, this generational shift of how engineering and open, like not open source, well, open source as well, but just people getting hired. Now, location is not a limitation now, bandwidth yeah. is a location, is a limitation. So, like if you have internet that you can, com- that you can basically talk with your coworkers, uh, if you don't mind waking up a little earlier or staying up a little later. Like you now can have a job based out of San Francisco. So with that being said, like, but no one, unless you listen to podcasts like this, or you follow the right people on Twitter, you don't know that's a possibility. So then you go on with life of like, I wish I could be a computer programmer. I should move to the U S when now you don't even have to move to the U S to, to be competent and, and competitive.
1: Yeah, you can like do it everywhere since it's like, I think this is like moved after that COVID, it became like a possibility since like most of companies like move to a remote like work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there's a shift of people tr- thinking, okay, we're going to move back into the office because like we, we benefit whatever reason, like maybe there's like a lab that you have to do some hardware programming on, like that makes sense. But like for the company I'm working on, open source, my entire team is up before I even wake up. <clears throat> like yeah. We have folks in Romania, we have folks in Egypt, we have folks in Brazil, they're not in San Francisco. And the yeah. reason for that is like, because of open source, like we have access to talent and skills that don't necessarily have to live down the street from me, as long as like, I'm okay, like I'm, I'm, I wake up early, I woke up an hour ago, or two hours ago. Uh, so that means I'm up when my half my team's already up. Uh, and then they've been up for like four or five hours already at that point. So I guess what I'm getting at is like the the access to to tech has not has never been closer. Like I think yeah. in 20, 20, 30 years ago, the email and the internet and broadband, it it connected us in a way that was like it connected the, the world in a way that you now you see sort of the globalization of the world and now. Everyone is watching the same news and everyone's in the same Twitter feed. And now I can know what's happening in your hometown and you can have know what's happening in my hometown. So with COVID everyone going remote in force, it now opened up the the lens of like, okay, there are some jobs that need to be in person, but in reality, like do I need my front end developer to be in the same city as me working next to me in the same desk? No, like we've got family, we've got kids. I've I'm now 10 years into this and I've got a 10 year old, almost a 10 year old now that I want to be home when it hits, when it's dinner time. Like I don't mind working two hours after bedtime. Um, but at least I could be home from like five o'clock to 10 o'clock and be with the family. And that's something that you can't, you, 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 you definitely can't manufacture that. But also, I also respect that. Like some people do like to be in in person. So like we're, we're all figuring this out as we go along.
1: Yeah, I understand that. Since you are figuring that out, I'd like—I get a question about, like, let's say you work at open source right now and how you manage the whole work you are doing.
0: Yeah, so it's—it was interesting because, like, going going into like working at GitHub, um, we were, yeah. So working at GitHub, i, I was always a ro- remote-first company. Uh, we always were remote, and so my entire team, the entire time, four year and a half years I worked there, uh, it was always focused on you know self. Manage your own time, your schedule. Um, so going into open source, the, the the fun thing is like I've been working on open source since 2016. It was a fun little side project. Uh, about two and a half years ago, I started working on it like more seriously, bootstrapping it, putting a login growing a community, like we grew to like a thousand users and that validated like, okay, people have an interest in what I'm working on. Let me see if I, if I worked on it full-time, like what could, I, what could this be? Um, so when going full-time in open source, like I spent a lot of time building content. Uh, so the first thing we did is we decided that uh, before we would start building product, we started talking to future customers and open source maintainers, uh, just asking them, you know, share your open source story. Like how did you get involved? Like what value you're getting from open source, uh, and those are the stories we have in our, our YouTube channel called uh, Open Source, YouTube.com/open source, and um, but yeah, I spend a lot of my day-to-day really um, like Mondays I try to do mostly content, so I'll create like some videos. Uh, I sort of prep for my live streams that have on Tuesday. Tuesday I try to do half a day of just writing code in the open. So Open Source is open source project. So. Everything I write code on, because I'm the the CEO, I don't really try to do a lot of like highly technical, critical path stuff, Uh, but like side projects, like exploring some cool extra stuff uh, I do uh, on a live stream. Uh, And then the rest of the week is like really just, you know, attending the emails, interacting. I've been doing a lot of customer uh, engagement interviews. So uh, users and future users, I've been booking 15 minute calls to give them a demo, get some feedback. I take that feedback, digest it in the GitHub issues and stuff for us to work on in the future, and then I manage like the the team of engineers and designers um, to uh, help build what this feedback is into into features. So that's my current day to day. Spend a lot of time on Twitter as well uh, because I, I find like Twitter is a really good place to find like what's happening uh, as far as like the in the industry and community. And uh, so I spend a lot of time sort of like researching, I, I, researching, but also scrolling uh, Twitter as well.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. That's really awesome. Since you are like you are having an open source uh, community and open as an open source community as open source company as well, uh, I would like to ask about how can people like start into open source? Like yeah. it's we, we talked about this before, and you mentioned like I think the showing case um, of Amjad as well.
0: Yeah, so getting started open source like it's it really you got to ask the question like what are you trying to get out of it first. Because uh, that kind of dictates on how to get started. So if you're if you're trying to get your first job, if you're trying to get competent or get skills or join a community to kind of learn what's out there, because you don't know like a lot of people ask the question: Should I learn JavaScript? Should I learn PHP? Should I learn Perl or Rust or whatever? Yeah, uh, you, have, you have to answer the question like: What are you interested in? Like, do you want to do back end programming and work in servers and keep things up and alive, or would you rather have more fun doing front end and making stuff pixel perfect and working with designers like? Once you ask, ask to answer those questions, it's easy to answer, to answer the question of like, what engineer you want to be? So with open source, same thing. Like, what do you want to get out of it? Do you want to join a community? Do you want to in, engage in like some different skills that you can't get at work or in school? Um, or are you trying to basically build a future product, library, startup, whatever it is? So like, answer that question. So I'll just choose one if you want to maybe gain skills or get your first job. Like, at that point, I'd find a community first. Uh, And the way to find a community is like whatever you're working in, find a community in that. So if your local community has, if you're doing JavaScript, your local community has a JavaScript meetup or organization, join that. If they don't join an international one, like free code camp is a great one to start with. Free code camp is also open sourced. Free code camp also has a curriculum to do open source as well. So uh, I'd honestly say like start something like that or like a code newbie or get on the dev, uh, the forum post to, to start engaging and the best thing you could do, and that's again, this is like, uh, we're not even talking about writing code yet. The best thing you could do is like engage into projects and community. So that's commenting and issues, that's uh, starring repos, that's commenting or following the maintainers on Twitter, joining their discords. Like, once you're engaged in community and people see you, it's a lot easier to, to actually start contributing to open source because the biggest challenge of open source is like a lot of people, uh, a lot of people on the internet don't use their real names or their real profiles. So if you come to my profile, I don't know who you are, I don't know what you look like, I don't know if you're a real person. Uh, and then you're like, hey, I want to get involved, like, cool, join the community. And you're like, no, I actually want to work on something. Well, I can't give you any work to work on because I don't know if you're gonna you're gonna disappear next week. So if I give you something and I'm like, oh, cool, thanks for building this, could you build something else that helps? you know, push us along or helps it integrate it in the platform. And you're like, oh, I, I'm done. I, I just want to want a contribution or I'm gonna never talk to you ever again and ghost you. Well, that's happened to me uh, tons of times enough that I'm like, okay, I know I know the system. I know like what I need to ask these questions to find out what these people are trying to get out of this. So then I know to set my expectations that if they don't want mentorship, if they don't want to be part of the community, then I, I'm probably not going to be investing any time or effort into them. So I I you got to first be willing to like be investable um and then that helps you get integrated in community so like a lot of folks they search through tons of good first issues which usually is going to be the answer that most people give is like oh look at stuff you use go find good first issues in the repo um which you can like good good first issues.dev like that's a good price to find a bunch of issues based on your interests and likeness but that's like a, it's that's like honestly saying like hey do you want to be a chef here's a knife good luck like, you don't like, you need to give them something to like lead them into that point. So, like, you go to chef school or you go to community school or you you join a community, you work at a restaurant. It's the same thing as a developer. You either work at a job, you join a community, or are you, you go to school to learn how to be a developer. Uh, and in open source, you've got to, it, it's all about community. It's, it's more than just being able to see the code. Uh, it's a community of people who have agreed that they want to keep this thing alive and they want to work on this thing together. Despite the fact that they're not going to get paid, they're not going to get notoriety. Like it's, it's all about like, hey, I just want to be a part of something. I want to build something greater and something that moves forward. And uh, like the story that I, we, we alluded to a couple of times with uh, Amjad, the CEO of Replit, he built a tool because in Jordan and uh, he didn't have a, his personal computer. Uh, so he was going to school and the way to basically learn how to do programming was to go to computer lab. And every time he went to computer lab, he had to reinstall every single thing that he had to use to be successful as an engineer. So like all the Java, JVM stuff, whatever. And so he's like, hey, wouldn't it be cool? It's like, you just went to a website, everything was already installed, and you just start writing code. And that's what REPL it, Repl, REPL.it. Um, that's the site. Uh, so he built an open source version of that that was basically a JS REPL uh, to... Write in any language that you wanted to use, or whatever it was, Java or Python or whatever. Um, is like speeding up the story a bit, but he basically built that because he just had a need to solve that he just wanted to write code. Fast forward, there's a company that built an entire a similar interaction, which was called Code Academy. Uh, they ended up using his open source library that he built for himself to solve his computer science engineering, our uh, university problem. They embedded it into their project. They went to YC uh, and they ended up hiring him and moving him out to the US because of that one open source project that he was just maintaining for years. Um, fast forward, like, he kept maintaining the open source project and eventually it was like, hey, there's enough here. Let me actually build a company around it. And um, so like his goal was not, I'm going to build a company into open source. He was, his goal was like, I need to solve a problem. Let me do it in the open. Because when you do open source, you get a bunch of people looking at it. Once you start talking about it, then you get other people who can like unblock you if you've never, like, you never solved this problem before. Okay, let me open source an issue and ask in a forum, and the communities I'm already a part of to say, "Hey, how do you solve this?" And then you get some answers, and it's a community of people who, are like, no one said. And open source is—it's very weird if someone's like, "Oh, I'll give you an answer, but you have to pay me to give you the answer." Like yeah. that doesn't really happen in open source um which is the benefit of open source but also it's like open source is not the end goal like a lot of people want to get make money from open source get sponsored become maintainers to work on things full time but the end goal is not really that the end goal is like you want to use open source not for a means to an end but a stepping stone to something else so a lot of people end up taking jobs at google and facebook and and um amazon because of their open source work and because of the notoriety and like their their. they their ability to continue to contribute and provide to society. Um, and yeah, so there's, there's a whole lens that we go like deeper into that, but yeah, I'll pause there.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Uh, I, for that, like, I just remembered, like, uh, I think uh, open source could contribute to some people' value, or let's say it could align with people' value, like altruism and how they want to give back to community. That's why, like, a lot of people uh, go there. So I would like to know why... Um, For those people who contribute to open source, how can they like contribute? How can that align with their communities and values as well?
0: Yeah, I mean, it really. This you got to ask the question of like what you what you're trying to get out of it. So if you have community values, like write them down. Uh, So if your if your value is, I want to work on on machine learning software that impacts X Y Z, or I want to work on education software that teaches English to you know, this country and the, these users or whatever, whatever the, the the value is, like write it down, like what goals you're trying to get out of this. If your value is like, I want to make lots of money, like write that down. Uh, Cause like those one value, like making money uh, as an engineer is like, it's okay to make money. Yeah. Uh, and if that's the goal, like I, I see a lot of open source contributors and maintainers, they become an expert in the craft so well that then they start teaching it and they start consulting and contracting. So uh, I, I work with the team who built our landing page, actually, and they're based out in Serbia. And um, they are really excellent engineers. They just happen to be in a country that I've never been to and never had any awareness of, uh, but they do really good work. Uh, and they do all that in open, and uh, they worked on our project in open source as well. So with that being said, like now they have the our landing page. They can they can leverage that on their, their resume, their cover letter, their next consulting gig, and say, hey, we built this thing. We, we can validate ourselves tech reach out to this maintainer. So with that being said, like, it, it, like write down your your, your values and what we were trying to accomplish. I'd say like free code camp I'd mentioned earlier, like it's literally teaching the entire world how to code. Uh, it's a free curriculum. Uh, it's all self-paced. And there's like, you can join a local meetup to stay engaged and accountable. But the, the real... The real miss on most people who are learning how to code, and most people want to get it open source, is showing up. And I mentioned before we hit record, like ninety percent of success comes from the showing up. Okay. Um, and if you can just show up uh, and show that you're you're willing to work and willing to participate and part like be a a contributor to the community or, or the project, uh, but also show up and be consistent about it, that that goes like miles beyond. Of like mo- what most people are doing most people are just going and trying to get a transactional experience of like okay i'm going to learn this thing i'm going to get this answer from this community and then i will leave forever you will never see me again and it's like there's a lot of social anxiety i totally understand like not everyone's an extrovert not everyone's really good with social interactions but i think if you could work on just that one part of the social interaction of like just showing up uh and this is the thing i, I so this is the thing i actually i i, I was leading DevRel at github and I learned this thing actually from uh, uh, another founder, now founder, a former coworker at GitHub. And he would make it a, a, a point to do one tweet a day and one comment a day. And yeah. the one tweet is basically like you're, you're actively engaged. You're like sharing something, contributing something to the conversation. But then commenting is something that, like you, you can have a, a YouTube video of 100,000 views and it has 10 comments. Like commenting is something that not a lot of people do. Uh, and you always see the same people that do it over and over again but most comments like even on youtube like they could be like off subject or negative but if you could be that one person that does a positive comment like you stand out so much further above everyone else which is why i push for like, if you want to be involved in open source you want to find a project yes find good first issues but also try to engage like ask questions be like be supportive like go into a pr and be like hey this looks good this looks like good code um like it's, um, I would say like the, a lot of my career has been doing that 10% of what no one wants to do. So like yeah. when, when I, I do I comment, I, I'm positive, I show up on people's PRs with reviews and stuff like that. Uh, but also in my job, like when I first learned how to code, no one wanted to do front end JavaScript code. Like now, for whatever reason, front end JavaScript code is like, it is it like most juniors, uh, Bootcamp grads, they they come in and they're like, "Oh, I want to do React. I want to do I want to do design system work in, in JavaScript." But ten years ago, that was not the case. Like no one wanted to do JavaScript. It was the ecosystem was not what it was today. Uh, so in 2013, I learned how to do JavaScript, and then we are using this tool called CoffeeScript, which is like JavaScript, but it was written differently and it was like compiled. Um, so I converted all our CoffeeScript to JavaScript because CoffeeScript was it wasn't maintained. Like no one was really supporting it anymore. Uh, so i switched to just native javascript and i learned so much doing that to the point where i learned how to do react because he had a project so like hey we have a javascript project why don't you try to react it's like it's new i learned that in 2014 and i learned react early so early that i I'm, i've i can consistently ship out react code um 10 years later like not well eight years later at this point um and now React is, like, the thing everyone wants to learn. So I just, when you're early and before everyone else, before the party is really popping, uh, you tend to know, you see a lot more, and you tend to know a lot more. Uh, and you tend yeah. to have, like, more of, like, a, um, like, more wisdom when it comes to approaching different things. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah. I, I, I seem to be rambling on this point, but yeah.
1: That's that's the fine. Like, it's always, I think, the first movers who have got, like, the most out of something because, like, they see stuff like differently let's say and they have a different perspective on that Uh, from here like i would like to tell you about that when you mentioned that that the one comment a day and one tweet a day it's like really helpful to see the people that are empowering each other and giving something back besides that getting something from it because like it's really hard sometimes as you know as content creators sometimes they find like it's is it really useful what we are doing is the open source project that we are doing yeah. is like someone will use it. This is some kind of issues that they face. Yeah.
0: yeah it, this is, this is something that also you don't realize how like approachable, like you, I, we've never met before. Like you reached out yeah. to me and you said, do you have a podcast? Um, would you like to come on? And I said, yeah, because 10 years ago when I started, I started a podcast very similar and I was called this developing story. And I would look for all the people I looked up to. So engineers that I saw were doing really cool open source things or worked at a, a company I wanted to work at, I'd reach out to them and say, "Hey, I do a podcast. Would you like to come on and and talk with me?" And um, <clears throat> excuse me. And yes. I sp- I built an entire network of people who I'd never met before and just asked, hey, would you like to come on my podcast to to have a conversation of like, Three questions. I'd only ask them three questions, which was, who are you? How did you get there? Uh, and what are you working on? Um, so, and like the second question is really what I wanted to know is like, what was the secret sauce of like how you got to where you are today? How'd you get that job at Netflix? How'd you get that job at Facebook? Like, what did you work on to get noticed in open source? And it was really enlightening because what I found out is most people are kind of like, most of us are like the rest of us is like the, the quote I use. Most people this happened to tinker with something or they had a problem at work and they're like, Oh, let me solve it. And it turned into like building the entire open source ecosystem of like testing or tooling or JavaScript projects. And then that's what really took them off. Like, like there's a, it's weird in, 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 in the engineering world where you only have, like you really have five to 10 years uh, before you end up getting to a point where, well, you have five to 10 years before you hit the point where like, okay, I've now been promoted enough that i like now i'm leading or i'm now the 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 principal um or the the staff engineer that's basically building and making all the decisions and and, or you just become like just a regular engineer like you could either just like continue to ship code clock out at five o'clock which is totally fine like that's that's totally fine but if you're really engaged in doing open source and contributing and doing podcasts and like talking to community there's like it, it's literally every five years you see somebody who's sort of like you see them at every conference or at every podcast uh, and they hit like their hundred thousand subscribers or whatever it is. And then like they ascend into like, okay, I've made it. Now I'm like off into a cloud doing whatever I want, whatever I want. Yeah. So what I'm getting at is like, like the acceleration curve of being like joining engineering. It's like two years because it's two years from now everything that's new is going to turn over again. So like, whether it's like JavaScript or there's a new version or whatever it is, you have to relearn it to stay up to speed. So if you're constantly engaged in community, you're learning stuff by osmosis, like just by default, learning new things. If you're not learning new things, like it's totally fine. You just might not have a job after a while. So I guess what I'm getting at is if you start, if you learn how to code today, you're two years away from being competent and having like a really, really decent job with a great salary. And it really just starts like start today.
1: That's really interesting. As for that, like when you talk for, let's say if we talked about the open source contributors and maintainers, usually they find, let's say usually the juniors find some kind of issues in like having financial stuff, financial support, or even like uh, they think about getting money from uh, open source. Uh, What would you suggest them to do? Like, do you suggest them to like seek money from open source or do you suggest them to like use open source as just a step to move forward for jobs?
0: Yeah, I would do the latter because I I think once you introduce money into the the conversation, it's a different conversation. And I see this happen all the time. I've seen it where people come to the open source community, they're like, hey, I built a thing, Um, it works. We ended up getting a thousand stars, it's so popular by the way, sponsor me or buy me a coffee or all this other stuff. And then like the conversation changes really quickly. I I remember this one project, it was a Tailwind project where you could investigate Tailwind CSS inside the Google console. And it was a cool idea. And I thought it was a great little project to sort of identify this stuff. Uh, But then the the maintainer basically limited it to anybody could use it, had to pay $5 a month on sponsors, which was like, I think uh, admirable, like I de- definitely like if it's going to change your life and give you money uh, to like succeed everything else you want to do, like that's great. But the problem with that, like that project's not around anymore uh, because one, you basically cut off the funnel for new people to be excited about this and grow and contribute with you. But two, you also now put the pressure on you to keep this updated and maintain because now you're asking for money for this thing. Uh, and then as soon as someone's find something that's free, because like, again, that's a project anybody could build if you were just put some enough tenacity and time into so it wasn't like a super novel concept it was just really cool at the time but now it's like built in the tailwind it's like a built-in feature so they won they they took it cut the community off uh to make sure they could like financially be stable uh but also you're rolling the dice because if he didn't pay like if he didn't charge for it it also would have been part of the the regular suite instead of that tailwind so might as well make the money when you can But you just got to know what you're going to get out of it like you basically put a a ticking time bomb of when this project is going to die every month because like every month you get that new that new stipend of money that's coming in you have to also ship like features that will support okay i will still pay for this thing so if you're seeking to do open source to make money uh it's a it's going to be a long slog Unless you already have an idea, like definitely, yeah, figure it out. Do a sponsorship. That's fine. But if you're starting for nothing or you just like just learn how to code recently, my recommendation is like do it for gaining skills, just as if you were trying to. If you're gonna pay for a course, like you pay twenty dollars for a Udemy course, you learn the skill, you move on. Uh, I would use open source as like your UDB courses. Like join a community, learn what you can, ask questions like become like befriend the maintainers, like not don't just like use it as a, yeah, just a working relationship. Uh, thanks for your answers. I'm going to disappear again. And which is, it's pretty much the norm when it comes to open source. Uh, but if you like show up, stay consistent, like take that mentorship, befriend the maintainer, like that becomes way more valuable because when you get that job and you're working your nine to five and you're like, oh, I have this problem. I don't know how to fix it. You could always ring up that maintainer, be like, hey, I have, I have a question. Like, I don't know how to do this thing. Could you like walk me through this? Like, that's a relationship that you'll have forever to be able to have a friend to talk through and unblock yourself, as opposed to like, oh, I'm not part of that community anymore because I got a job or I got paid. So I'm going to, I'm going to remove myself.
1: I think it's always like about, let's say, Human connections, even if it's for open source or technology, like because the code you are writing, it will be outdated like few years later. But the friendship that you are making in the open source community will stay like forever. You don't know how it will turn in the future. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, for that, um, since you are talking about the open source maintainers and how people like kind step into the open source, then move like to another thing for companies, how they can find the best open source maintainers for them and recruit them.
0: Yeah, so I mean, that's gonna be open source pretty soon. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I think there's like um, there's definitely a trend that we're seeing. There's a just a whole generational shift that's happening right now. So. And open source, like 30 years ago, open source, 20 years ago, open source was all about, okay, this is how it works. Everything's free. It's open. You should be able to download software for free. Free so- software foundation, like all this stuff that existed, um, it existed for good reason. Like we wanted to make it so Linux was an, like was a realistic solution against Windows. Like if you didn't have the hundred bucks to pay for the Windows license to have Windows on your computer, you, Linux is a valuable option. Whole ecosystem around that. That has now been ingrained so much so that we had to have AWS, we have Azure, all built on top of Linux, um, cloud, and servers and stuff like that. So we've arrived, we've made it. Now there's a shift in the open source where now it's not just about Linux servers and, and doing like really complicated stuff and open source, but now it's like that design system that's building this StreamYard service that we have right now. Like that's open source. The stuff that you, when you go into Twitter uh, and looking at all the UI and all the buttons and like the interactions and in Scala, like that's open source. So now we're built, on, like the entire web is now built on open source technologies and non-proprietary stuff. Because the truth is open source, it moves faster than proprietary stuff. So with that being said, if you're looking for like the best engineers in open source, uh, we're building open source specifically to go through open source projects. Find out the people who are really the movers and shakers, the folks who are creating new projects and identifying them. And then the the folks you want to opt in, similar like LinkedIn, you want to opt in to get reached out to by companies and engineering managers uh, and saying like, hey, your skill set and this technology is actually what we need. Uh, Forget the interview process. Like, do you just want the job? And that's what we're we're aiming to do. Uh, We want to be able to showcase your skills as an engineer without going through like weeks and weeks of whiteboarding or weeks and weeks of interviews. Uh, Because now going back to our original, our, our earlier conversation around the shift of engineering is now global, where I can hire people from Egypt and Romania and Brazil and Nigeria and not feel like I'm missing out or that I don't know if I have the competent contributors or the right engineers on my team, because I can go look at their code. If they're doing open source, I can go look at their PRs and be like, oh, wow, this person knows what they're doing. This actually a good contribution. Looks like they're consistent here and they do this and they're in this community like, that is now another lens that we can look at as we see the more the approach of, like, okay, everything's remote. Like, you, the trust is now validated by their contributions. So if you're yeah. looking for the – there's a joke around, like, um, all these new technologies they come out, and then the joke is, like, now you need three to five years of experience. Like, if someone wants 10 years of experience of React, you're asking for a core team member. And that's a hard ask because if someone worked at Facebook for 10 years working on the code to the entire world's – Front ends are worked on. Uh, there's a very hard chance that they're going to come and work for you unless there's another thing you're offering, whatever. Um, but if you want to find someone who's done 10 years of Reactic, you can find that through Open Source. And uh, we're looking forward, we're actually be shipping uh, custom Open Source profiles at the end of the month where you can go log into Open Source, highlight your contributions, and generate your resume. Uh, so and now, anyway, and we're not focused on recruiting, but if you're an engineering manager, or if you're a founder of a company looking for certain skill sets to join, like apply to your team or to ha- add to your team, uh, you could do that through open source. So, looking forward to hopefully sharing that uh, in the next couple of weeks.
1: That would be a really awesome feature for people, like even for engineering uh, for founders, so they can like find the people that uh, match their yeah. skills need the most. Uh, from this point, like I just like get a, pro- a question about open source itself. Open source is Started as a open source community, and it's for moving right now to like a full time. You are moving it to full time job and to a company. Um, how do you make it stable, like financially? Financially stable? Yeah, that's a good yeah. question. Uh,
0: so we uh, the quick question is that we we did we took some funding from angels. Um, yeah. So in the startup world, um, you could you could go bootstrap. Bootstrap meaning that you basically fund it yourself. Uh, you don't take any sort of outside funding. You own 100 percent of the project. Um, Earlier this year, before leaving GitHub, I actually reached out to a couple former CEOs of GitHub, um, as well as some founders as well, uh, who are very involved in the open source space. And I asked them basically, hey, I have this idea I've been working on. Would you invest in this? Uh, So we took some investment money uh, to basically sustain ourselves for the next two years. Uh, and build a project that it will be usable uh, for thousands of, of users. So, um, we've also just recently added a Stripe integration. So, if you are a team and you want to get insights into how your team's doing in open source, uh, you could sign up. Uh, its pricing's on the, the homepage. It might change, but today it's 100 bucks a month. And you can now manage your open source through open
1: source. That's really awesome. As from this point, like since you are, let's say, building a company on top of open source and empowering open source community, how do you see the future of open source itself?
0: Yeah, the the future of open source, I think. So
1: that, this is uh, it's
0: it's definitely in, in my pitch, and this is what I pitched the same investors that I mentioned before. Yeah, is that the percentage of people who do open source is it's pretty small. Like GitHub has ninety four million users on the platform, uh, about two hundred eighty million repos are open sourced on GitHub. Of those repos at a 280 million, 230,000 have more than five contributors. So that mean, that's telling me that like most of the projects that are open source are just open source for just looking at source code, not for yeah. collaboration community contribution. And when I see the vision, like that's 0.01% of all open source projects on GitHub have more than five contributors. So the future is like that number goes to 1%. So instead of 200,000, it's now, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Instead of two hundred thousand, now it's it's two million repos are now actively contributing, actively doing community, and that's a, that's a huge jump, uh, and that's the that's the future. It's like we want to see more contribution. We want to see companies choose to do open source first because it's a competitively advantage. Uh, because when you again going back to the the conversation around open source, you move faster. Everyone's using open source in their projects. So if you if you want to be anybody or anything or ship. Like scalably, you're using open source software. So if you're yeah. using open source software, and there's a whole community of people who are using, are doing open source, you can now be competitive in hiring. It can be competitive in scaling, competitive like shipping your roadmap, competitive in security. Because like once you're open source, everyone can see the code. If there's security vulnerability, it gets it gets alerted sooner. Like we just had LastPass alert um, after six months, they had a vulnerability in their security because of log4shell stuff. Like that was something that's been open source that's been it's been a solved problem, but now it's been a vulnerability that's been a, a was a backdoor for everyone to get yeah. encrypted content from LastPass. So um, the future is open source. And I see with um we see all this AI stable diffusion, open AI stuff. Like the reason for the the, the sort of scale that's happening right now and just the AI generative stuff, uh, is because open source. Like anybody can go on top of open AI or go look at their code and be like, oh, this is how they did it. Obviously, they have some proprietary core, open core stuff that maybe is not open source. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, when you start, like normally, if you start from zero, it takes you that much longer to, like, compete and be competitive. Yeah. But you're not starting from zero with open source. You're starting with a design system. You're starting with a mm-hmm. server. You're starting with all this other stuff you can hook into that you normally you normally would have had to build yourself. So the way, like, our team right now is team of five. Like, the way we're able to build what we're building is because of open source. Like, we can build an entire product and, like, leverage open source tools to scale a company without needing, like, a 20-person team.
1: Yeah, that's really awesome. Like, I, I think open source for companies could, like, save, as you mentioned, like, it save them time and money. So, like, you can use someone else's product in your project without, like, having to hire everyone from that project for you or having, like, hire seniors there. Yeah, um, yeah.
0: It's, it's, it's possible too, as well as like you're, you have a, <clears throat> so I bet you react a few times. Yeah. Like if you, we need to solve a problem react like, Oh man, this stuff is not scaling. We can know how to generate or cache this data. Why don't we just contract somebody in open source? Like we don't need a full-time staff member to fix this, but we could just use some consulting
1: and yeah. like you
0: can go to an agency and pay $80,000 uh, for one contract or you can go to the open source maintainer and be like, Hey, uh, would you like to consult with us for like a month for like a couple thousand dollars to unblock us on a problem. Like that, that's pretty powerful to be able to say, oh, we're not paying 80,000, we're paying 2,000 to get the expert who wrote the code to help unblock us.
1: Yeah. And that expert might like have a blog after that for the blog that you had. So to, do to solve someone else's issues, so that the contribution to that, like if you think from your side, it would be just like 2,000. But if you think from like the whole project, it would be much like a huge impact on that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it's huge. And it's like you don't realize how closely connected the, in, the industry and the, yeah. the uh, this in developer community really is. Because like I mentioned earlier, it's like five to ten years, you start seeing the stars or the influencers. Um like influence is like a name, uh, a term that most developers don't really enjoy, the influencer term, but they call it what it is. Like there are folks who are really influencing what we're writing code in. Uh, we're influencing us like React. The reason that we're writing React is because Facebook had a problem when they're building Uh, Instagram.com. Instagram was purchased for a billion dollars by Facebook, and they needed to build Instagram.com. And they looked for a lot of different solutions. Turned out there was like this little tool internally that Jordan Walk built called, it was like kind of like a PHP-esque, but it was like JSX, and it was called React. Actually, it was called something else, but um, eventually it it, it was React. And they solved the problem. And when they saw that problem, they shared that with the world. And the, the funny thing about this, and this is a story that Tom Okino actually just shared recently at the React holiday party for Andreessen, they were like, they announced it and they got really technical and they talked about it and like no one cared. And then six months later, they, they did another announcement and then they talked about the, the problems it solved because they didn't talk about the problems before. And then everyone cared and everyone's like, oh, I have that problem. I want to solve that. I'm going to use React, and then we have the entire industry shifting and using React. And like, obviously, like React is not always going to be the thing, but industry will shift and wherever it wants to be. But if you have that problem, that pain point, I want to solve that. Like the problem that we're solving in open source is, it's hard to find engineers. Like, how do you compete if you're a small company? How do you compete if you're not Facebook or uh, Netflix or Google? The way you compete is through open source. Like, you find the undervalued engineers that are working in Peru or working in, in Jordan or somewhere else. And you say, hey, I've noticed your work. Come work for us. We'll pay you a competitive salary. And now you're paying a competitive salary, but you're paying a global salary that now is now sustaining an entire ecosystem in a company. So
1: yeah. That's really awesome. As for the open source, like the other thing that you can have from open source is like, as you mentioned, the contributors from different regions and uh, those kind of contributions can bring like new innovative ideas or let's say new pinpoints that you didn't see or you don't know about that. Like, if you think about the region in the mini region itself, they have like paper, Farsi, and Arabic as language, and this language have a different Styling, uh, writing styles, right to left, and that you don't see it if you were like in the USA or somewhere that using Latin languages.
0: Yeah, it, so there's like there's a lot of um, the, the whole right right to left. Actually, I spent a lot of time. Uh, I just spend a lot of time. I I worked at GitHub at the time when they were doing a lot of those translations for different languages in GitHub. Um, so right right to left something comes up a lot, and it's interesting about that. There's an open source library uh, from Kent C. Dodd. Uh, he's a prolific in the JavaScript community. Kent, Kent is actually somebody who I reached out to during my podcast, uh, Disability Story. Had no idea who he was. He had just recently taken a job at PayPal, was like graduated college a couple years before then. And I reached out to him because I kept seeing him around. I was like, hey, I want to know your story. And he came on my podcast. I interviewed him, learned his story. And he's someone i like, I've been connected with since. And he's a huge, he's like, Two hundred fifty thousand followers on Twitter, uh, definitely put out a couple different courses, making seven figures. Like he, he's definitely a mover and shaker, like an influencer in the industry. And uh, but he had this issue where he had this like massive blog, Ken C. Dodds or KCDIO or KenzieDodds um, and he <clears throat> needed to translate it because he he's very much has a large community he wants to translate it for international audiences. So he built like a smaller library, and I don't know if he still uses it. Uh, I don't know if he built it actually, to be honest, but he ended up leveraging it to translate stuff, to do these small problems. But again, going back to this, like translating documentation and and, and content, it's an open source solve solution. And if the solution doesn't work for you, you could always go in and contribute back and make it better. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people miss the opportunity. Like I, when I was working full-time as an engineer, I'd find a problem. I'd find problems all the time. And we'd be using an open source library. It didn't work for what we needed. So the the decision was like, do we build our own? Do we contribute back to the open source project? And the majority of the time, it was always build your own. And unfortunately, that's a majority of like most people that get to the point where it's like, oh, open source not working for us. Let's build our own. And then what happens is you become like uh, Facebook and React, and then you release it to the wild. It's like, hey, this didn't work for us. So we built our own. Now we're sharing it. That whole last mile of like actually sharing it with the community doesn't always happen. Um, so my recommendation is like, don't build your own. Contribute back upstream. If it's contributing back upstream doesn't work, do a fork, make your own, and then contribute back to the community. So that way we're all benefiting. Because if we can move the web forward, like now we're seeing everyone benefit from this, and it doesn't have to be like oh, okay, this is our competitive edge. And that's what we're seeing right now with um a lot of these big companies. They'll have like these small little solutions, these problems solved, but it's not their—it's not their competitive edge. Like when Netflix ships all their open source of like how they do throughput on video or manage lots of servers and analytics, everyone benefits from that, and Netflix knows that, and that's why Netflix pays four hundred twenty thousand uh, dollars per engineer because they're leaders that go that go there, the influencers that go there, they build all the future of the web and the internet and open source.
1: That's really awesome. That's really interesting to know about like how the open source is moving from your perspective. Um, I think we are like getting to the end of the episode, and I would like to uh, get an advice from you for people uh, in general, and specifically for companies and founders about the open source.
0: Yeah, I mean, my advice is probably use it uh, and contribute back. Uh, there, I, I talked to a company uh, last summer actually uh, August and they were, they had done the zero open source enterprise company. They're doing some uh, machine learning to take PDFs and convert that into readable documents. And they, after like, because open AI was actually stable diffusion. <clears throat> they, um, they took stable diffusion and built a AI generated uh, uh, library, open source library to basically do that process automatically. And, um, it only took them like two weekends to start together. It was like the CEO was a engineer decided to build this thing and then was going to open source it. They ended up open sourcing and they talked to me. I was like, Hey, this is what you do. It's how you set up your readme. Um, they open source it and they ended up getting a thousand stars in the first week. That's awesome. And yeah. And the, the thousand stars is, it's a good metric to kind of look at. But what was the yeah. real metric was is they were doing paid ads to get customers. So they go like Google AdWords and um, stuff like that to do, like basically convert customers into using their product. They doubled their customer acquisition funnel just with the open source repo. So the amount of people just who are go- looking at their re- repo yeah. was higher than what they were paying Google to look at their their website. They're getting way more traffic to their website based on the open source repo. Uh, that company actually just announced last month they were acquired by Figma. Um but like that wasn't the end goal; they weren't trying to get acquired. I think that was already in process. But the that impact that it made to their, their business, like that was obviously up into the right hockey stick growth curve. And it's because they just put some thought into open source and some thought into like this is actually not it wasn't their main business; it wasn't the thing that was selling uh, and making money for them. So they're like, let's just share it. And to their surprise, it became the number one funnel for converting to getting customers and using their product because their product was complicated. It would take a lot of like going through wizards and signing up and trying to figure out what you do. But when you presented one problem, which is automatically generate inputs and values from these PDF documents uh, using AI generated stuff, that became like, oh, I want to use this thing. Oh, there's a whole company behind this. Let me use this. So it became, uh, we're going to see a shift into more marketing funnels through open source. Uh, We already see it right now. Like a lot of example apps, a lot of example repos, like Stripe has examples a ton of examples, an entire org, like that is their funnel to get people to use Stripe. And um, you could use open source to like get in front of a community that you weren't even aware of.
1: So yeah, that's, that's my advice. That's really awesome. It, like the most important thing is like the community that the people they are not aware about. So again, thank you for accepting this invitation for this podcast. And thank you for the people who are listening to our podcast and joined us today. Hopefully we'll see you in the future podcast and stay tuned for the next one. We will talk about cybersecurity with someone from Cybersecurity Conference, Women in Cybersecurity Conference from the USA. Uh, Excellent. Thank you again, Brian. Thank you.